Hello, everybody. So I wanted to start off with just a, a quick question for us to have discussion about. Um, and I believe I've asked before, like, what your dream job was when you were a kid. But I kind of want to ask now, like, what is your dream job now? Like, thinking 10, 15, 20 years down the line, what do you hope to be doing? Now, this isn't to be like set in stone, but just to kind of know one another, to learn about your aspirations and things like that. So, and this also brings in anyone that's not actually working yet to, to kind of dream a little bit. So 10, 15, 20 years down the line, what do you hope to be doing? Split up into groups of three or four. Let's talk about that now. Yeah? I want to take everyone away from dreaming a little too much and then focus back on the present. Mm -hmm. Boo. <laughs> All right, and I'd like to invite everyone to read Second Peter chapter uh First Peter? Oh, First Peter chapter two. Got it. First Peter chapter two, verses nine through twelve. But you are a chosen race, a loyal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. Dang, Sarah. You know, my voice is kind of covering, coming back from being sick. So, Sarah, you could just, like, do the whole sermon if you don't mind. <laughs> that was amazing. I love it. So, we, um, I might have to tap you in, no lie. Just kidding. We're, we're going through a sermon series called The Theology of Work. And it's exploring the union of Christ and our careers. So, you know, you guys know that I serve as an associate pastor here at Blueprints. But that's not my um, only job. I have a job as a data analyst for Pandora. And so, you know, most of my hours per week are actually spent in the workplace. It's not really spent here uh, at Blueprint. Um, and coming from California to New York in my 20s, I really didn't have um, any of my friend groups come with me, right? So I didn't have my high school friends, middle school friends, uh, college friends. Um, when I came here, it was really just everyone I knew at Blueprint at the time, and then my work. They were the main people that I got to talk to outside of my church. And so that was my primary point of contact. And that shaped a lot of, like, okay, how am I, like, knowing that I don't have many other people to talk to, like, what does it look like for me to, to, to extend out and to reach and to grow? Uh, in these spaces, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that at length um, today. But I, you know, there's this show called Severance on Apple TV. Have you guys heard of it? Have you seen it? Has anyone seen it? Oh my gosh, 
It's a great show. I don't normally like TV shows, but it's great. So it's about, it's about this company called Lumen, and they, they do this special surgery on people where um, they implant a chip in your brain. It's, it's a voluntary thing, like you choose to do it. And then so when you enter into your workspace, there's like an elevator, and as you go down, the chip activates, and you forget everything about your outside life. And then you don't know anything about your outside life at all. You don't know your name, you don't know your, who your loved ones are, or anything like that. All you know is what's inside your workplace. And then you do all your work inside, and you're doing all this like random stuff on computers. And then once you go up that elevator, you don't know anything about your work life, and you just go back to your personal life. And they call it like an any, any versus Audi. Um, that's what they call it. And that's what Severance is all about. It's like this sci-fi mystery show. Um, and I don't know if any of you guys would be tempted to do that, or if any of you guys kind of do that today. But I believe that one of the biggest lies that we as Christians kind of believe one of the biggest temptations is that our personal spiritual lives and our work lives are meant to be severed from one another. You know what I mean? Um, that's like, um, that's my fear, is that we kind of see the work life and our personal and our faith to be separate from each other and that they cannot mix. And that's just a lie that the world has kind of allowed like massage into our day to day. And that's what we want to fight today because by uh, the title of my message is The Workplace is Your Mission Field. The Workplace is Your Mission Field. That's the punchline up front. That's what we're working towards. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk more about that. So uh, let me just pray and then we'll get started. So Lord, the... The work that you're going to do here um, as you share your word, God, I pray um, that we would be open to what you have to say, pray that you would shape us and change us however we need to be shaped and changed, um, because you're worth it, you are worthy, and we want to devote our lives to you, yes, even our work life, and so we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The workplace is your mission field, so I want to be clear you know, not everyone's called to be a missionary, you know, as in not everyone's called to be like a Joanne and Phil or Carissa and Jake, um, and they go overseas, they share the gospel in places where they, um, the gospel is not always readily available. I want to emphasize that it could be us, but not everyone is called to be that, right? Uh, the Lord could call any one of us, and we should be open to that. And if we're staying here, I hope and pray that it's because the Lord called us to stay, not because we weren't called to go. Um, a non-answer isn't enough for that. But if the Lord has called us not to be a missionary abroad, which is probably most of us, then does that mean we're off the hook? No. Because if we're not called to be missionaries, we're still called to be missional in mindset. And I'm going to unpack what that means in broad strokes um, throughout the Bible, but our main passage is going to be First Peter 2. So... We're going to start off here, and I'm going to start off by, by reading uh, the first uh, part of it again. It says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of his darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. And beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which waged war against your soul. And if you just think about 
all the things that he said there, um, how many phrases he used uh, to describe who we are. He says, we are one, a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for his own possession, called into his light, God's people, recipients of God's mercy, sojourners and exiles. All of these things are identity-shaping words. He's saying, this is who you are, first and foremost. And so each of these things could be a sermon in itself, but I'm not going to do that to you. But I do want to point out each one of them very briefly. Um, and as I do, and as I explain them in just like brief one-sentence overviews, think about your career, think about your workplace, your coworkers, your managers, those people specifically, and think about them as I read through these, right? If we're chosen race, it means that we've been noticed, preferred, selected by the one whose opinion matters most in our life. If we're a royal priesthood, it means that we've received the high calling to be mediators between God and other, um, other sinful humans the way that priests do. If we're a holy nation, it means that we're supposed to be set apart from all other nations in word, thought, and action. If we're people for his own possession, it means that we're not our own, that we're purchased by it with a price we're meant to live for him. If we're called into his light, it means that we have a destination waiting for us that's better than the greatest places or offices in this earth. And for God's people, it means that we have built in meaningful fellowship and communion with the body of Christ that he's grafted us into. If we're recipients of God's mercy, it means we have no means of boasting or elevating ourselves above anyone in this world. And if we're sojourners and exiles, it means that while we not may necessarily be a missionary, we're all living in a place that's not our own. We're not on home territory. So do you see the implications for what this means in our careers? It may not have been obvious immediately as you read this passage, but our role uh, as Christians is, is not to read the Bible as like a history textbook, right, that you skim through um, but we, as Jesus followers, have to be good at the skill of just not like comprehending what we read, but applying it into all spheres of our life, right? But when the Bible talks about Christians living in the world, I wonder if our first thought is like, oh, the world, that's probably like Atlantic City or like Las Vegas or, you know, very like obvious places where there's lots of nightclubs and gambling and, and bars and stuff. And while that's not untrue, I don't know if many of us think about the world as like, it's our workplace. It's where we are 40 hours a week. Um, so the practice of just understanding our identity, who God's calls to be, and applying it to our workplace, it can be subtle, but it changes everything. So if I'm part of a chosen race, if I belong to the Lord, then, man, maybe those mid-year performance reviews won't be so anxiety-inducing. You know, If I'm part of a um, if I'm calling to his light, then maybe sacrificing so much of my life for that corner office doesn't seem so appealing anymore. If I'm a recipient of God's mercy, then maybe I also should show mercy to my colleague, my boss, my coworker. There's a part of your God-given identity that maybe you haven't fully realized into your, your work yet, and I wonder what that is for you. And so, um, to be missional is to know our identity as believers. And I just kind of want to read them again one more time. Think about which ones like stick out to you. Keep that in mind as we read through and as we pray later on. You are a chosen race, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, thank you, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. To be missional is to know our identity as believers. But to be missional also means that we're not to just be on the defensive, but also on the offensive. 1 Peter 2.9 primarily talks about our identity in nine different ways, right? We went over those, but he doesn't just talk about identity. Um, his reaffirmation of their identity is the launching point by which action takes place. And there's two main actions in this, um, in this passage. Um, they're in verse 9 and verse 12. Verse 9 says that, it says, you're a <coughs> people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. So proclaiming. And then verse 12, after he says, I urge you as sojourners as exiles, he says, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So I want to start off with verse 12, what he's saying there, because I think we're comfortable with this one. We kind of know. It's like, okay, as our identities as sojourners and exiles, we don't live like the natives here. Um, as in, we abstain from the passions of the flesh. We act honorably before our non-believers. These are um, what I would call like defensive ways that we preserve the power of our testimony. It means that well, we don't engage in drunkenness the way that they do. We don't gossip and spill the tea to others to extort, to, to fit in or to be part of that, that in crowd, right? We don't extort our teammates or clients for personal gain. All these things are things that we refrain from. And in doing so, we take a stand for the value um, that we hold as, as believers. We'll do things the right way, even if it's the hard way. And it can be hard. Uh, if all you want to do is blend in and not be noticed, you will be noticed if you abstain from the things that are just normalized in the, in the secular workplace, right? But this is how we defend the power of our testimony. This is how we honor God and display his lordship in our lives. There's a defensive part, preserving our testimony and what we believe about God. So to be missional means that we have to be defensive. We have to be protective of the faith, of, of our faith, of our testimony. That doesn't mean you have to be, like, weird about it. You don't have to be snooty about it. Um, but the passions of the flesh are sins that we all should know by name. And we can identify it and be on guard against it uh, as we encounter it. First John 2, 15, 16 says this about it. He says, uh, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So our reasoning to be defensive and to protect is not because we just want to put ourselves on a pedestal and be like, we're better than you pagans, you know. Um, it's not just because we blindly obey for no reason, no. But in 1 John, it mentions that the desires of the flesh are not from the Father. They're from the world. As in, we have a relational incentive to be near to the Father. We want to do the things that he does. We want to be a part of the things that he's a part of and not be a part of anything else. So some things may appeal to you and look good to you, but if they're not from the Father, then is it really good for you? Because anything that is not from him will not lead me to him. 
right? Anything that's not from him will not lead me to him. So there's no way around it. Indulging in gossip at the workplace, it will not bear godly fruit. You will not get closer to God by forsaking your family to go the extra mile for your job. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul, right? The next verse is even scarier. What comes after that? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of the Father with holy angels. Yeah. So to be missional, especially in the workplace, is to guard our testimony, to be defensive, to defend ourselves against the world, uh, the desires, the dreams, the passions that come from this place. And we defend because we know it's not from God, and we only want what's from God because we know that that will truly satisfy. I think we kind of get that. But like any good sports team, you can't just have good defense. You need good offense, right? You need to balance the attack. And we're not just um, meant to abstain from things at work, although that's a big part of that. Um, on top of that, we're to do what Peter says in verse 9. It says, proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not supposed to solely be on the defensive, but on the offensive. Because the word proclaim in the Greek is like to announce publicly. It's just like a public declaration, something that has to be heard by many people. It's not like you're going to be, and you know, you're not going to be shouting on the on top of your cubicle uh, the, the gospel of Jesus every day. No, we're not. We're not doing that. There's tact to it. But I want to reject the notion, the mindset that we're supposed to just survive in our workplaces. You know, I want to reject the idea that we're just supposed to grit our teeth and make it through the next 30 years and then retire. That's a, that's a terrible life. Rather, what if the workplace is the place where you see the power of God at work the most in your week? What if your coworkers are the people God placed in your life to minister to. You know, I, I've been dreading going into the office more now that we're called to go back more often, and now that we're expected back. But what if this is the place where you can have the most kingdom impact in your week? I believe that this is true for many of us. It requires tact, and we probably don't want to go all the way every day but there's some small things, like tiny little rebellions, little proclamations of Christ-like love that can lead to these moments. And there's so many verses, so many verses that speak about how to act before Gentiles. And I just want to provide some suggestions for what these verses look like lived out in our workplace. Jesus says in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In my one time meeting Tim Keller in person, I, I've shared this before, but I got to ask him one question and I asked it about work. I said, how can I be an effective witness to my coworkers? And he said something along the lines of just be excellent at your job. Like be good at what you do. And he went on to talk about that if you are blameless in your work, and if you're exemplary in your work and you gain, you'll gain the quiet respect of everyone that you interact with. And they'll have to respect you when you speak on other things, including faith. And in an era of, you know, quiet quitting, of doing just the bare minimum to get by, Christians have, in this age, can live a different way. 
we can be excellent at what we do without sacrificing everything to do it. Okay? The, be excellent at what we do without sacrificing our families, our health, our relationship to do it. Giving our all while in our, in our workplace, but not giving everything to climbing the corporate ladder. Ephesians 6, 5 says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and with trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ or slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And to imagine that God, that Christ is our boss and that we would obey him the way that, or her, the way that we would obey Christ, that sounds crazy, like a little blasphemous at first. But if there's an, any way to elevate the work that we do, it's by maintaining this attitude. It's listening to and seeking to please our boss the way that we would listen to the Lord. Um, it's, it's not to elevate our boss as Lord because we know who's the boss of every boss, right? We know who's the CEO of every CEO, and he's ultimately in control. So I don't have to sweat what goes on down here in worldly middle management, Right? I can serve an imperfect boss with excellence if I know that the Lord himself sees me and knows me, is in control. Excellent work done for the Lord. It opens up gateways to conversations. And I'll tell you with firsthand experience because my work had been um, really admired in my team. Whenever we would go out to have outings or dinners or something, they would just have interest to know more about my life because they wanted to know more about their good coworker. And, you know, I would share about how I wrote music, but it was for the church. I would share about how I mentored high schoolers every week, and many of them would be very surprised by that. They're like, wait, you're a 30-something, and you're hanging out with high schoolers on a Friday night? And they're like, yeah, I love it. You know, and they, <laughs> at first, I was like, wait, you hang out with high schoolers? You know, I'm like, I had to explain. I'm mentoring them. Yeah, it was a little weird. <laughs> I guess they're not used to that. Um, but... If I was a lazy worker, if I was unmotivated, if I was undisciplined, why would they be interested in me? They wouldn't. What grounds would I have to share about Jesus if I'm not even doing my job, right? So be excellent at what you do, and then you'll see the doors open. You'll be strengthened. You'll strengthen the power of your testimony. We just got to be better at our jobs. But the other thing that we can do is live for the why, and here's what I mean by that. One chapter later in 1 Peter 3, it says this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. You know, one time, I, I may have shared this. One time I went to lunch with one of my coworkers in the city. This was back when I worked at Vivo. This was like eight, nine years ago. Uh, my coworker was so different from me. Definitely not Christian. Um, he was kind of a stoner. He made really trippy experimental music. He'd be like, just like in the middle of the work, he'd be like, yo, you want, you want some weed? Like, just like, and he needs to be here. And I'm like, it wasn't legal then. And I'm like, oh, I'm good, man. Uh, I just want to work. But 
we were picking up lunch together one day, and then I encountered a homeless person, and I was like, okay. I always had cash on me, so I can give some some money. And then uh, he was just walking, and he realized that I wasn't with him, and he turned around, and he saw me. And he was, like, looking at me weird, and I was, like, I was, like running to catch up. Didn't say anything about it, but we sat down, and we ate together. He's like, he's like, yo, I... I can't get over this. I can I ask you something? I'm like, what? He's like, why did you give that man a twenty? He's like, why would you even do that? And then I just grinned. I like smiled so wide. I'm like, I finally get to say something about God, you know? Like this is the moment. And I shared with him like probably a little too excitedly, like, geez, like because God gave me so much, like we're not called to hold and hoard everything, but we give those who are more needy, just like Jesus gave to us. I kept, you know, I, I kept it pretty brief, but I was pretty excited. That was such an exciting moment. Um, did he become a Christian that day? No. But I want to believe that a seed was planted in him that he kind of started to understand a little bit of what it means to be changed by the gospel. And it started with him asking to give the reason for the hope that I had. What does it look like to be missional in the workplace? It looks like people questioning why you do the things you do. Not in like a weird way. Like if you're weirding your coworkers out by putting orange juice in your coffee, then you've got other problems. That's not proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. You're just weird. But if you say a, bu- if you say a bunch of random and appropriate things to your coworkers, that's not, that's not persecution. <laughs> you're weird. It's why Peter says to do it with gentleness and respect, right? Gentleness and respect. There's a way in which you go about it that gathers the respect around you. But this is my hope for us as Blueprint. I'm praying that our church will be marked by acts of such radical love, grounded in the hope that we have in Jesus and his promises, that your coworkers would look at your life and they would ask why. Why? Why do you spend your Saturdays helping the poor? Why do you listen to Christian music all the time? Why are you so patient with that annoying coworker? Why did you give so much money for that cause? Why did you forgive that person after what they did to you? Why is the collision of our hope in Christ permeating a dry and hopeless world? And if you are living missionally, make no mistake, you will get this question. It will come. Because as sojourners and exiles, we know this place is not our home. I can't tell you how many times that I've gotten, I've asked if people, if I'm from, if they know that I'm from out of state. They're like, you're not from here. Where are you actually from? I'm like, I'm from California. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. How much more... Will people know that we are from another kingdom entirely? I'm not telling everyone to be these, you know, sidewalk preachers out there with a microphone and stuff. That doesn't have to be you. And I'm not saying everyone has to be blasting Maverick City on their speakers at work, right? You don't have to do that. But what I'm saying is we should dream a little bigger for the 20 and 30 years that we have in our workplace. It doesn't have to be this purgatory that we enter into as we wait to get into retirement and just sever the rest of our life from that. It can be a place where God is living and active and moving. It'll take a little bravery from you. It will take a little bit of putting yourself out there. It might take a a bunch of tiny little rebellious acts of grace to your coworkers and the people around you. It's going to take a little faith that God can use the testimony that you're slowly building with your coworkers as a launching point to plant seeds of grace in their lives. May the Lord give us 
a heart for our coworkers. May the Lord give us a heart for our clients, our customers, anyone that we encounter this week. May we see them as God sees them. May we see them in such a way that would, um, may they see us in such a way where they would ask why about our lives and the hope that we have. And when that day comes, God, I, I know that the Lord will show up in his power and all his might and do what only he can do, which is bring salvation. He can do that. The Lord doesn't need you to do his work. You know, he doesn't need any of us. He can infiltrate people's dreams if he wanted to and proclaim himself. But he wants you to participate with him in the expansion of his kingdom. He wants that. And so let's break out of our insecurity, our fear of rejection, our fear of standing out, and let's just rebel in tiny ways this week, in ways that are legal, ways that aren't weird, ways that, are, that gain the respect of our coworkers, of our boss, of whomever. And let's see what happens in 20, 30 years. I pray that more than the dreams that you guys have for your careers, you guys along the way would just bring people into the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for this passage in 1 Peter. Thank you for reminding us and waking us up from our severed lives. Reminding us to rejoin what should have never been separated, Lord. That is our, <coughs> our belief in Christ, our belief in you, and our careers. Lord, I pray that we would dream bigger, that we would seek to attain more than a title or a dollar amount, but Lord, that we would seek your kingdom wherever we're at. And if we're going to be at work, so be it. As Paul was in prison, he said, well, I'm just going to reach out to the prisoners, or to the guards then. And I pray that we would have that same mindset. Wherever we are, Lord, use us or your glory. And there are people in our, in our, work, in our work life, um, people in our minds and our hearts right now, and I pray, Lord, that you would give us opportunities to share and extend tiny acts of grace, to be on the offensive and not just on the defensive pursue you with all that we have. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Of course, I want to bring it back to the gospel. Um, we know that our home is a heavenly one. It's not from here. And the way that God is calling us to live is one that he's already lived. Jesus, whose home was on, in heaven, became a sojourner in exile. He left his holy land to be born in a stuffy manger, to live an excellent life 
as a carpenter, as a teacher, as a healer, gathered the respect of many, but he also made enemies because people were intimidated by his power. And while we were still sinners, Jesus laid down his perfect life to die for us. We were foolish and rebellious. And he went the furthest distance from heaven to here. To redeem us for something bigger. And this table is that centering point in our faith where we remind ourselves of who Jesus is in our lives and what he's done. Of the one who became a sojourner and exile from even God himself so that he could bring us into his family. We now have nothing to lose. So what if we lose our jobs? So what if we lose these, these opportunities? We have a heavenly home. We have a community of faith that will not let us fail. We have the Holy Spirit who can do all things. That's the security that we have when we commune with him at the table. And that's also why we give. We trust and we believe that he has provided and will provide everything that we need. And so this is our time to respond. To say, yeah, Jesus, I, I kept you out of my work life but I welcome you in it. I invite you into cubicle 4H. I invite you in my home workplace as I remote, work remotely. I invite you into my relationship with my coworker. Let this be the start of a bunch of tiny, daily acts of rebellious grace. because we know that we've been given so much more than that. So, as we partake in the, in the cup, Jesus says, this is my blood poured out for you. To partake in the body, um, the bread, Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Pray that you would see his eyes on you as he says that. It's broken for you. It's spilt for you. He doesn't expect anything else but just to come to the table. And that's what we're going to do now. So would you guys come from the left and the right? Let's partake in the Lord's Supper. Once again, I'm not asking for wild proclamations. I'm not asking for 10 salvations by next week. 
although the Lord can do that. But what I'm asking is just in your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, for you to invite God into that moment. Just have your eyes open to what the Lord is doing. And that you and your heart would be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. And you'll know when the time comes. Whatever uncertainties, insecurities that are coming, let's lay them before the feet of the Lord. Let's worship Him for who He is. Let's proclaim together as one church the excellencies of God in worship. So Lord, I pray, I pray that you would overcome our fear. I pray that these tiny acts of faith would lead to big fruit. I pray that our obedience to you would result in your kingdom expansion. Lord, we want to incorporate you, bring you into our corporate dream, bring you into our work life. You just to live for you from a place of knowing what you've done for us on the cross. Thank you for going all that way to make yourself an exile, even from the presence of God, so that we could be called a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Once we were not God's people, but now we are his people, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into eternal life, into the light. Jesus, we worship you and honor you and give you our lives today. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Yes, God, we want more of you. We want more of your miracles in the workplace. We want more of you in our cubicle. We want more of you in our team meetings and wherever we may find ourselves on the day-to-day and the week-to-week. Lord, we want to see We want to see you at work in power. And Lord, we know that a lot of that, you've placed us in situations where we can be witnesses to that. You don't need us, Lord, but you want us to partake in this. You want us to see some of the harvest. If only we would take out our sheath, take out our tools and just go. Lord, would you transform our idea of what the next 20 to 30 years are to look like? And I pray that we would implant your goals, your hopes, and your dreams, your kingdom into our careers. Lord, we know the workplace is our mission field that you've called us to. And Lord, I pray we would be faithful to serve you in it. 
We love you and we honor you with our lives. In your name we pray, amen. May the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, and especially this week uh, as you go back to work or wherever you may be. Lord bless you. This is the end of our service. Uh, come join us upstairs for lunch, and please come and celebrate with us at Alley Pond at 3 o'clock for Luna's birthday. Thank you, guys.